Hey, it's Alan Carter. Welcome to a special Kids and Cars podcast. Yes, the kids, are they all right? Will they be heading back to in-person learning in Ontario? And cars, will we really move to electric vehicles only? Let's get to it. Trust us. Just trust us. We've got it. We've got it. Don't worry about it. Don't worry. Don't freak out. It's all going to be good. That's every level of government right now in this country. The feds are like, don't worry. I know you got questions about vaccines. We got it. Don't worry. Don't ask questions. It's okay. It's fine. You got questions about whether your kids are going to go back to school and whether they should go back into in-person learning. Don't worry about it. We got it. We got it. Don't worry about it. Stephen Lynch has got it. No problem. Four o'clock today. Special Dofo Show. Dofo Show. The Dofo Show today at a very special time at 4 p.m. Guest hosted by Stephen Lecce, the Minister of Education, along with the Chief Medical Officer of Health, Dr. David Williams will be there as well to be able to try and explain to us what it is that the kids will be going back to school. Today on the Alan Carter Radio Program, we have two topics to really dig into. And one are the kids, and two are cars. Kids and cars on the Alan Carter Radio Program. We're going to be talking about, obviously, whether or not the kids will be going back to school. What do we know? What do we think is going to be said by Stephen Lecce and Dr. Williams later on this afternoon? And I really want to dig into the GM Canada, or rather GM announcement worldwide, GM saying, you know, it's not going to make combustion engines. Uh, After 2035, it's going to move totally to electric vehicles. What's that mean for you and me? Why is it that this province is not stepping up? with rebates for electric vehicles. We're going we're gonna to get into this. And here's how I'm going to weave it all together. I'm going to start with this quick story. Right now, parents, if you're listening to me, I know you have this experience. Here's how you've linked cars and kids. I've got to tell you, if you have a car and you have kids, especially when they're young, I know that you've probably done this or you've thought about it. I know I've done it is sometimes I just leave the house and I go and I sit in the car in the driveway and I just sit in there and maybe I listen to the radio. You know why? There are no kids there. And I think every parent might have that experience. Kids and cars today on the Alan Carter Radio Program. Can I just quickly talk about the Prime Minister uh, and vaccine uh, and his announcement Yesterday, hands up who's increasingly agitated about the federal vaccine response. The Prime Minister, uh, the Prime Minister announcing with pride yesterday in, in front of the cozy cottage that we are going to have domestic production for the vaccine. Yes, we're going to build it here. We're going to do it ourselves. It's Canadian. Yeah. Uh, and it's going to be ready in time to help end the pandemic. Just not this pandemic. The next one. Like COVID thirty four, man, we are we are solid for that. Robin Urbach in the Globe and Mail writing: Listening to the Prime Minister string together talking points in response to specific question about Canada's vaccine program is evidence enough of how that's going. Fingers crossed, I guess, for meeting that September deadline. Trust us. Just trust us. We got it. We got it on the federal level with the vaccines. No problem. Trust us. Provincially, with the kids going back to school, don't worry. Trust us. Travis Danraj is our Queens Park Bureau Chief. 
uh, and is on the line. Travis, what do we know about what we're going to hear at 4 o'clock? Oh, boy. Listen, tell me what you really think, Al. That's what I want to know on the show today. Uh, at 4 o'clock, we are going to be hearing from Education Minister Stephen Lecce and also Dr. David Williams, Ontario's Chief Medical Officer of Health. And hopefully we will get some clarity for parents because certainly, you know, earlier this week we heard an announcement about an announcement coming. Uh, and so today is the day that all parents, teachers, and students will be watching to find out whether or not Kids are going back to class uh, on the 10th. Now, uh, there's a cabinet meeting at 2 o'clock, so we okay. are doing, you know, what the recommendation is right so now. So that's at 2 o'clock that Doc Williams is going to just kind of lay it on the line, Doc Williams style, to the cabinet? Yeah, exactly, and then they're going to have, you know, a vigorous debate about it. But what we're hearing right now, the recommendation is, is for uh, all, all the regions except Toronto and Peel to resume on that date. Uh, and Toronto and Peel will be held back just a couple of days until after the Family Day long weekend. Now, once again, let me preface all of this by saying that is what we're hearing the recommendation is. That is all subject to change at that cabinet meeting. And so all eyes will be on Queen's Park for 4 o'clock. All right. I, I got to tell you what my prediction is going to be. It's not far off of what you what you had to say there. Uh, and that is that Toronto, Peel, Windsor, Essex, uh, all the hot zones, the early hot zones, maybe Hamilton might be in there, too that they will all go back, as you say, on the 16th. That's the Tuesday after the family day-long weekend. I don't... I, you, you, you're hearing that, that other uh, boards will actually go back on the 10th? That would only put kids in class for, what, one or two days before they'd have a four-day weekend. Well, this is the thing, and there's a PA day, I think, on Friday. Yeah, the Friday. Toronto, is a, right? Yeah. So it's really, I mean, it's only a matter of a couple of days. But there, I mean, the, the question is how, how big of a... A dramatic difference is that going to make if you're only shifting things by a couple of days in the hot zone. So, I mean, that will be a contentious debate for sure in, in Cabinet. And Premier Ford has said, and so is the Education Minister, that their goal is to have kids back in class by February February 10th. So uh, we, we will see what happens. But certainly, yeah, I mean, it's not a lot of time uh, in between. And it's like having kids home for two extra days, I guess. What do we know about the rapid testing? The, la- the last that we heard in the announcement on Monday when we had the uh, uh, Lecce-Williams uh, tag team was that these rapid tests are being deployed, but they're in the hands of the local public health unit officers, right. and those public health unit officers will then decide how, when, and where they're deployed. Well, I mean, exactly. <laughs> that, that is the issue, right? I mean, as soon as they're ramping up these symptomatic testing, but it is... Uh, a lot of these decisions are based on the local public health units. So it's not like, and this testing, by the way, is going to be voluntary. So it's not like this is mandatory testing uh, when it goes back and, and when, when the kids go back. And there's not a lot of details surrounding the asymptomatic testing. We had this announcement, I think it was on Monday, uh, by the education minister in terms of the safe return to schools. And, there, you know, there were a couple of new tidbits in there, but not anything that was really substantial uh, other than the asymptomatic testing. And again, details were very sparse on that. And again, it's left up to local public health. You know, it's not a broad kind of brush across the province. I'm speaking with Travis Damrich, who is Global's uh, Queens Park Bureau Chief, a job I I used to have, and Travis is uh, excelling uh, at it and uh, (laughs) showing uh, showing Global uh, how it should be done. Um, but, but let me ask you this about uh, March break, because I think a lot of parents were wondering about this, about, right. you know, with, with all the missed 
time? You know, should we cancel March break? Should we continue to teach through March break? You know, especially since we're not supposed to travel. Uh, here's I want to play this for you. This is Sam Hammond, uh, who, of course, is head of the Elementary Teachers Federation, in his response to questions about whether or not school should continue through March break. Parents, students, uh, and educators and staff in schools across this province are exhausted. Uh, they, they, they hung on uh, to get to the winter break, quite frankly, so that they had a two-week break to uh, you know, re-energize and, and refocus and stuff and, and take a break. Uh, and I would suggest to you that that March break, um, with additional restrictions around traveling and all of that sort of stuff, should continue uh, because already uh, people are again exhausted based on what they're having to deal with. That is Sam Hammond, the head of the Elementary Teachers Federation yeah. on the line, Travis Danaraj. Uh, what are you hearing about March break, Travis? So listen, this this whole kind of March break question came up uh, the other day when Steve Mache had this news conference because the education minister was asked specifically about whether or not he would consider canceling the March break for all the reasons that you cited. And he didn't say no, it's not uh, you know off the table. It is apparently on the table. But, you know, what Sam Hammond didn't say in that, that clip which is a major issue that the government will face if they do want to do this, is that there are collective bargaining agreements with all of the teachers' unions that are going to make this a uh, logistical nightmare if that is the case. I mean, they, you know, it, the teachers have March break off in their collective agreement. So I don't know how you then tell the teachers that they, they have to work and there would need to be some sort of uh, legislation passed. And, and I, the same would extend then to, you know, any discussion about extending the school year, you know, past the end of June and in July, that the same thing would apply. It, it, exactly. And, you know, during a, a technical briefing the other day as, as well with uh, the uh, deputy uh, education minister and some other officials, the question was asked about whether or not the curriculum needs to be revised as well, because... You know, you, you can do a lot with remote learning, but there, you know, have been some concerns about uh, uh, falling behind in, in some areas, and the curriculum really needs to be revised when it comes to that. It doesn't look like that is going to happen either. So, you know, there are a lot of questions around this. Uh, you know, the big one today is the timing and, and when kids are going to go back to class. It looks like they are going back, but just whether or not that is going to be after Family Day in, in, in some regions like Toronto, Peel, and York, and Windsor, like you mentioned or if that is going to be on the tip. You, you know what I don't think is getting enough um, attention? You know, you'd see it in some reports, Travis, but I, I don't think it's making enough news is that Ontario is the only province doing this right now. All the kids are back in class, you know, across the country, and we have in- increasing pressure from that sick kids report saying, you know, the mental health impact. And, you know, so I, I think the pressure is really on the government to do something here. Well, and, and listen, we had that letter, which we covered uh, yesterday on Global News, of 100 doctors across the country saying that it is better for kids' mental health to be in class. But, you know, some of the issues that the opposition and some of the unions have brought up is that, you know, they, they want to ensure that students are safe. They want to more on the asymptomatic testing front, as we talked about. They want to reduce class sizes. Uh, and some of these other issues dealt with, and they don't feel as though the government has dealt with that uh, the, the right way. But you're right. Listen, my brother's a teacher uh, out in Alberta, and he's been in school pretty much for, for, for months, right? So, I mean, Ontario is the only province that is doing this right now, and I think they are feeling the pressure, uh, you know, but there are different 
medical opinions on it, but certainly a lot of uh, doctors and a lot of people in the medical community feel like kids need to go back. Travis Damaresh, always great to talk to you. I know you got a lot to do. you got to prepare for this 4 o'clock this afternoon. Of course, we'll carry that live here on Global News Radio, and we'll have your report tonight on Global News on television. Travis, great to talk with you. Thanks again. All right, Alan. We'll talk to you soon. Well, hello. How are you doing? Uh, how are you? Are you in the car? Are you in the car? Are you driving? Or maybe you're not driving. Maybe just sitting in the car because you just can't handle being in the house with the kids just a moment longer. And you just got to, or maybe you are just, you're just tired of just being in the house and being stuck there and you don't have any place to go, but you're just going to sit in the car and listen to the radio. Well, welcome and welcome to a special Alan Carter radio program where we're talking about the kids and we're talking about cars. Kids and cars. This is for parents, and there's for parents that loves cars, and cars that love parents, and so on and so forth, and everybody in between. Uh, we, we're talking about the 4 o'clock announcement today from Stephen Lecce. This is re, uh, regarding kids and whether or not kids will go back to in-class learning. What do teachers have to say about that? What 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 do you think teachers are thinking right now, waiting for this announcement at 4 o'clock? Here's the Halton District School Board Chair, Andrea Grabenz. Uh, some of them are uh, don't want to go back, of course, because of the 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 variant. They they are very anxious um, because it seems this variant is uh, more infectious. Uh, but uh, many of them are finding it, of course, very difficult to engage over small screens, uh, dealing with technical issues, coming up with lessons that allow students to use what's around them in their homes to help get concepts across. That is Andrew Gretz, who's the Halton District School Board Chair. So everybody is stressed out. The kids are stressed out. The parents are stressed out. The teachers are stressed out. And everybody's waiting for 4 o'clock this afternoon to find out what the provincial government will announce. Caroline Alfonso is the education reporter for the Globe and Mail and a regular contributor to this program. Caroline, your prediction, what we're going to hear this afternoon. Hi, Alan. Well, I guess we're all waiting. I have two at home as well. I'm not in my car. I'm in the basement hiding out from them. Uh, um, you know, there is going to be a school reopening plan. I mean, that's the minister has, Minister Lecce has pretty much said that earlier this week, uh, that they will announce uh, the remaining districts who's going back. Um, there's a lot of sort of rumors swirling right now, um, but many are saying that most districts that are at home right now will be back on Monday. Um, there is the rumor that maybe they'll hold off in a couple of the hotspot regions, uh, especially Toronto, but that is all sort of speculation right now. Uh, that would put us, but Caroline, that would put us in, in in front of February 10th is which what they said is at a minimum right. that hotspots would be closed until then. That's true. It would. But remember, the hotspots were the ones who were going to be closed till at least February 10th. The rest were sort of week to week, right? They were supposed to return maybe two weeks ago or a week ago. And the government has slowly rolled out uh, different districts uh, coming back to learning. So, you know, there is sort of, you know, there is a lot to weigh right now with the with the variant, as Andrea just pointed out as well, and how that is going to impact classrooms. Um, and like teachers, I think the sentiment is shared by parents as well. A lot of nervousness on both sides. I mean, anxious to get their kids back to school, but at the same time worried about 
another shutdown once they're back? I don't know, Alan. It's hard yeah. to predict right now. Yeah, it is. Um, y- y- you know, in, in our case, in our family, we're, we're anxious to have the kids go back. Obviously, we're conscious of all of those things. But, you know, like a lot of parents, like you, like you say, we're kind of up and down. We're, we're weighing it out. You know, you know what really stuck out to me, what happened uh, on Monday? And it was a question that you asked of the press conference with Stephen Lecce. Uh, and with Dr. Williams, and you wrote about it, and that is that the, the government really hasn't provided to us any kind of outline for the metrics that they're using to reopen safely. Like, what what numbers are they actually looking at here? That's right, and that's something that I've been, and my colleagues have been pressing about. You know, what does it take to reopen schools? What is it that they're looking at? And I understand there are a lot of variables in play. You and I both understand that, but At this point in this pandemic, most of us have come to understand the variables. We we understand what community transmission is. We understand weekly caseload. So what I was looking for was some transparency around that. And, you know, Dr. Williams did point out somewhat vaguely that uh, they were looking for 100 to 150 cases, I assume, per week. I haven't got clarity of that. I kept asking that question. I haven't received any clarity. But he also pointed to local medical officers of health and their comfort level in having sort of the surveillance, the asymptomatic testing ready to go when schools resume. Still, though, Alan, I feel like it's very unclear. And I would like to know specifically, like, what it takes to reopen schools and really what the thresholds are where you close them again. Or what, what is it that we're looking for as far as community transmission goes to keep kids in the classroom? Caroline, here, here's what jumped out of me right away, is it, and it kind of linked to what I talked about in my last segment with Travis Danraj about the, the, the amount of authority that the local public health officers have, not only with asymptomatic testing and testing uh, regimens and rapid testing and how they're deployed, but but also reopening it as well. And, and so that kind of reinforces this weird patchwork and this question about, well, who actually is in charge here? That's right. That's a great question, Alan. I mean, that's, you know, I understand there has to be some leeway, leeway given to local public health units because they are right now going to be running the asymptomatic testing. They are the ones who sort of monitor for outbreaks and that sort of thing. But at the same time, there should be some provincial overarching transparent metrics as to what it takes to reopen schools. And we do not have that. And, you know, I've spoken with school board officials who are puzzled by that as well. Why is one school board, why is London, why is London reopened? Why has Ottawa reopened? Other than their medical officers of health calling for, advocating for reopening schools, whereas others with, I would I would see lower community transmission. Not Brandt, for example. Yet. Brandt exactly. is, is held out as an example for that, yeah. And Dr. Williams did say that he spoke with Brandt's medical officer of health, who said that they were not ready. I don't get that. I don't understand that. He was not, yeah, what he said was he was uncomfortable, and then he contrasted that with the Ottawa public health officer who was anxious to get schools reopened, and that that seems an odd metric or an odd way to decide whether kids go back to class. I mean, does that instill confidence? Is that instill confidence in families, in educators who are going to be in that classroom? I really question that as well. 
Caroline, we'll find out at 4 o'clock what's going to happen next. Stay tuned. A very special DOFO show with a featured guest host, Stephen Lecce, this afternoon at 4 p.m. Caroline, always great to talk to you. Thanks again. Thanks, Alan. Bye. That's Caroline Alfonso, educational reporter with The Globe and Mail. Cars, 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 a special podcast and radio program. By the way, this radio program is available as a podcast where all your regular podcasts are available. Uh, Today, kids and cars. We talked about kids going back to school. We find out at 4 o'clock today from the provincial government whether they'll return to in-person school. We know that they will. It's just a question of timing right now, what regions go back at what time. By the way, Global News Radio will carry that announcement live at 4 o'clock today from the Minister of Education and cars, namely digging into what is the truth behind that announcement from General Motors. General Motors setting the goal of making the vast majority of the vehicles it produces electric by 2035. And the entire company carbon neutral, including operations, five years after that. The New York Times writes that the GM decision is a quote-unquote sea change. Now, GM has already announced it's going to invest $27 billion U.S. in electric and autonomous vehicles in the next five years. That's a 35% increase over the plans that it had announced in the before times prior to the pandemic. It's going to offer 30 all-electric models worldwide by the middle of the decade. So obviously you're going to get a lot more choice. It's not just going to be about Teslas. There's going to be a lot more EV choice out there. And all of this is big economic news for Ontario. GM is going to invest a billion dollars to transform its plant in Ingersoll to make a commercial electric vehicle manufacturing plant. In September, Ford, Ford Motor Company, reached a deal of $1.95 billion to bring battery electric vehicle production to Oakville. But is the GM announcement really what it seems? And what's behind it? In the Globe and Mail, Conrad Yakubuski writes today, that GM has not actually made a hard commitment to end the production of gasoline-powered vehicles by 2035. That's not what it said, although that is kind of what's being reported and spun out. It's not a hard commitment. Uh, And uh, Conrad goes on to write that GM intends to continue making full-size pickup trucks with gasoline engines beyond 2035, meaning its legacy auto division will live on in some form. The question for all of us is, is this really the tipping point now where we move hard towards EVs and we start to put combustion engines in the rear view mirror? Or is this more about trying to get on side with the political realities of a Biden administration and domestic production of battery cars and being able to retool? What's going on here? Hype, hope, or reality. My next guest is a principal analyst at Guidehouse Insights. Welcome to the program, Sam Abu El Samid. What do you think? Is this really the turning point? Uh, I think it definitely is the beginning of the turning point. And and hello, Alan. Uh, nice to meet you. Uh, yeah, I think it definitely is the beginning of a turning point. We're we're at the stage now where battery technologies both. The, um, the materials that are being used and the uh, manufacturing processes and, and everything else around it are reducing the cost of batteries to the point where electric vehicles within the next few years will be at cost parity with gasoline vehicles. Uh, and it's going to make it a lot more practical for most people to drive an EV uh, as, as their primary vehicle. 
I, I've been looking into the possibility of my next car being uh, an electric vehicle, and they are cost prohibitive right now. They're, they're certainly, you're paying a premium, and you're also paying a substantial infrastructure cost to be able to kit out your home with a charging station. Uh, do you see those costs coming down, what, within five years to be able to make it a point where, you know, Canadians might actually say, okay, yeah, I'm on board? I would say it's going to be sooner than that, you know, on the, certainly on the vehicle side, um, you know, I think within the next, within the next three to four years, uh, you know, you will start to see a lot of vehicles, a lot of electric vehicles that are very, very close to comparably priced with gasoline, with equivalent gasoline vehicles. Uh, you know, for example, Volkswagen's about to launch the ID4 crossover, uh, which at least here in the States, I'm not sure the, the Canadian pricing, but here in the States, after you factor in the tax credits and everything, it's, you know, it's right in the heart of that compact crossover segment. And we're going to see a lot more of that and more vehicles coming at lower prices. Also, the charging is, is coming down in price. New chargers are being introduced that are lower cost. Um, and the, the thing about, you know, having, uh, installing a charger in your home, that's a one-time purchase. It's, it's, you know, once you've done it, you've got a charger, you never have to do it again. So it's not a recurring cost and the cost of electricity to charge an EV is far less than the cost of gasoline to operate a, a gasoline powered vehicle. Uh, Sam, a number of the think pieces that have come out since the announcement from General Motors have, have really tied this into um, the the new priorities of the Biden administration, that this is an attempt to get on the right side of this new administration. And the concern is here that, that this might be more talk than actual reality. What's your take? No, I think that this definitely is reality. Uh, you know, first of all, GM's been working on this plan for several years. Uh, this is based on what's known as the science-based targets initiative. So this is a, a global initiative to get companies to, to get to carbon neutrality by 2050. Uh, GM has actually set a, an even more aggressive target than that of 2040. Um, and the fact that that GM is willing, and, and other automakers as well, mo- most of the, the largest automakers are investing tens of billions of dollars into uh, electric vehicle uh, manufacturing and also in infrastructure. You know, they wouldn't be doing this if they didn't think that they could actually make a business out of this. You know, certainly, you know, I think the, the timing of the particular announcement is probably not coincidental you know, with the in, the new incoming administration, I you know I think that they certainly probably could have announced this in December or November, and probably chose to wait until after the inauguration. But um, I think this is something this is something that they were absolutely planning on doing, regardless of who was sitting in the White House today. One of the other concerns is the kind of infrastructure uh, in terms of the grid that we're going to require, especially if, you know, we do see a major shift to electric vehicles and what that means. I mean, what's your understanding about uh, the difficulties for governments trying to upgrade their grids to be able to to supply that kind of electricity? Yeah, so um, clearly that is uh, a a valid concern. Um, You know, we have, we, we generally, we think we have, more than enough generate power generation capacity to support a shift to electric vehicles. Um, the the big challenge is you know, when when vehicles are charged, you know, making sure you know managing um, the charging of vehicles, so especially vehicles being charged at home, 
doing those during off-peak hours uh, when there's excess capacity available. Uh, also, starting to integrate things like ve doing vehicle-to-grid integration, uh, especially for fleets, uh, the commercial fleets. And that's you know, commercial fleets are a, a big area of interest for electrification because those vehicles tend to use a lot more gas. They can get a lot more operating cost savings by going electric. And when you have fleets that are returning to base, you can plug those in. Those can become stationary storage um, at various times of the day uh, to soak up some excess generating capacity and then feed that back into the grid when there's more demand. So it's, it's more going to come down to managing uh, how and when vehicles are being charged in order to try and balance out the demand over the course of the day. Fascinating stuff, and it's going to be really interesting to see how it all plays out in the next couple of years. Sam, I appreciate you coming on today. Thanks, and uh, nice to meet you, too, as well. Pleasure to talk to you. That is Sam Abu El-Samid, who is a principal analyst at Guidehouse Insights, talking about what the reality is with electric vehicles in North America. I got time for just one quick note here. I want to bring you up to date on the Golden Globe nominations. They are out. David Fincher, his film Mank, about Joseph Mankiewicz, which I have not seen yet. Uh, it has topped the Golden Globe nominations with six nods. It's available on Netflix. I'm going to put that down on my list of things to do this weekend. The nominees for Best Motion Picture Drama are... So here are your best pictures uh, in drama. Now, remember, Golden Globe splits these up between drama and comedy. I'll just give you drama here. The Father, Mank... Nomad Land, The Trial of the Chicago Seven, and Promising Young Woman. And because it's the COVID era and these are movies, I have seen precisely none of them. The nominees for Best Television Series, and I suspect you're probably the same. Maybe a couple of these because they are available on streaming services. But uh, the nominees for Best Television Series drama are The Crown, Lovecraft Country, the Mandalorian, Ozark, and Ratched. Ratched. I don't know that one. Uh, those are a number of those I've seen. Here's the nominees for best television series, musical, or comedy. I want to point this out. Shit's Creek is in there. Yes, Shit's Creek. Ted Lasso, The Great, which by the way is amazing. The Flight Attendant, which I liked. And Emily in Paris, which I'm surprised by because most people seem to just hate watch that thing. So there are your major nominees for the Golden Globes. Thanks so much for joining me today here on Global News Radio. My name is Alan Carter. Stay with us throughout the day. We'll have all the news that's happening. And, of course, we'll take you live to Stephen Lecce, who is guest hosting a very special DOFO show today at 4 p.m. when we find out what's happening with in-class learning with students in the province of Ontario. That's the podcast for today. Don't forget the Alan Carter Show weekdays starting at noon.